the City Hill podcast. We really hope you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london. starting a, a series looking at the book, The Song of Solomon. A number of reasons for that. First reason is Valentine's Day this month. So, yeah, someone said, Jesus, love it. Oi, oi, wait, 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 wait. Yeah, have it. Some of us will, some of us won't, but you know what? The Lord loves us all. <laughs> Hashtag banner for days, banner for days. So we're going through this, this series. Also, because the last series we did, we were doing... Mark chapter 2 and one of the um, references like Mark does a lot of um, like imagery and wordplay always relating to like thousands and thousands of years of tradition of, 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 of rabbis and Israel's history and one of the things he picked on is he, he touched on this book and so we're going to be looking at chapter 1 and, and chapter 2. This is a really really strange book because basically there was a lot of discussion that used to take place like I don't know, maybe you've read it, I've read it, I remember reading it growing up in, in church and stuff, and there's a number of times, and even when I was having to read through the Bible at Bible college, I remember reading this book and being like, what the flip? Why, why the heck is this even in the Bible? This is just ridiculous. This book was also like, you see it on a lot of rap albums nowadays, where it says like, explicit content, parental advisory. Um, that was on this book. So Jewish boys were not allowed to read this till they turned 13, which is when they were considered men. Before then, it was like they could read and hear other parts of the scriptures. This bit, they'd be like, you cover your ears, sunshine. Because um, it's bow chicka bow wow, bow chicka bow bow. And so there came this period where just like the Bible was put into canon, which is like where they decided which books would be in the Bible, which books wouldn't make the final cut in terms of Christianity. But way before Christians ever got their grubby hands on this book, um, the, the Hebrew people had the same discussion and the same arguments and the same like, well, no, what the heck? Why, could, why should this be considered? But at the end of the first century and the turn of the second century, there's a great rabbi by the name of Akiva, Rabbi Akiva, who was one of the greatest rabbis ever. And he, he said a few strong words about this book. One of my favorites was because of the illicit nature and how um, descriptive it is and how it was kind of like, I don't know, like written porn in some ways. It's like Fifty Shades of Grey before Fifty Shades of Grey uh, for the Hebrew people. Because of that, it was sung a lot in the taverns. So we're meeting in a bar today, which is kind of funny really, because what Rabbi Akiva said was, was he said, if you're singing this song in the bars, you just forfeited your place in eternity. Um, so the first time you guys are going to miss out on eternity because you came to church to, to read this book, which is kind of funny because we meet in a bar. But his, his angle was this, that he goes, you take this book as something lewd, you take this, this, this text as something that it's kind of like just on the surface level. But what he ended up saying was he became like a, one of the biggest advocates for this being canonized in the Bible. What he ended up saying was he said, all scripture is holy, but he said, Song of Solomon is the holy of holies. It's like the idea that the people of Israel had was way back when they were slaves in Egypt, when they found their freedom, uh, Moses gave them the Ten Commandments, which we see as the law of God, like the do's and the don'ts. But for them, it was their instruction. It was their DNA. It was finding out who they are, who they're supposed to be, what their nature is, what their qualities are, what they're supposed to make a part of who they are. And so part of that DNA became this thing, which that we ne in later on became the temple. But at the time, was a tent, a meeting place, and it had these artifacts in it which all had powerful symbolism to 
to invigorate a people that have been beaten down, subjected to and broken by, by slavery, the slavery of an entire ethnicity, and they were now finding freedom. And these imageries and these, these habits that they would get involved in would be things that would create an identity and help them find their purpose, their meaning, and the way that they would live. And what he, he and basically with this very book is it's like a picture of that tent. That what would happen is the people would meet outside of it and day and night they would offer prayers on the inside incense would be burned like we sang about incense day, day and, and evening they would burn their incense and while the incense was burned the people outside would be praying on the outside and on the inside the priest would be burning the incense and the idea was like a fusion of this incense and the prayers rising through the curtain into the holy of holies to the mercy seat of god and so what rabbi akiva is saying sorry a long way of getting there but what he's saying is he's saying that this is the holy of holies like you guys are taking this to the bar but like this isn't outside the tent this isn't in the tent this isn't the holy area before the holy of holies this is the most intimate part you can get into scripture because he says this is gives us a picture of god's unbelievable love for us in a way that we all understand so everyone, so like there were people who maybe didn't understand the law of God. There were people who maybe couldn't get the, 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 the difficult imagery of the prophets because the prophets wrote in rhyme and in simile. They were like the rappers of their day and some of their wordplay was pretty mad and pretty advanced. And he goes, but at this level, the, the Song of Solomon's is a level everyone can relate to because everyone's had that moment where their heart skips a beat in the words of Olly Murs, the, the great psalmist that I'm quoting today for some reason. <laughs> Everyone's had their heart skip, skip a beat. Everyone's had that moment where someone takes their breath away. Everyone's had that moment in life where you go somewhere and someone goes, oh, that's so-and-so. And you're like, they know my name. Like, I don't know if you've ever had that moment. I remember one girl, I remember one time she was sitting next to someone and they said, oh, who's that? She went, that's Andy. And I was like, oh my gosh, she actually knows my name. I nearly, I nearly passed out. It's not cute. It's, it, yeah. Jody still doesn't know my name. We got married. She's a, they were saying my name and she had to repeat it and she's going, what? Let me, let me write it down. And yeah, no, she knows my name. She knows my name. So we're going to start reading the text now. So Song of Solomon, chapter one, verse one. Let, me kiss it, um, let him kiss me with kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Um, so actually, see, straight away, you read that in English, you miss, um, not that I read it fluent Hebrew or anything, but we miss so much of it. So there's a word play. So like, like I was saying with the Old Testament prophets having bars for days and just doing rhyme and simile and, and dualism, which is their form of rhyme where you say the same thing twice. So you'll see it all through this book. You'll see like this really weird thing. I grew up in church hearing different parts of the prophets quoted or Song of Solomon and the artistry always annoyed me because they said it and then they said it again in a different way. And I was like, I'm not an idiot. I understood what you were saying the first time. And that's what's happening here um, where it says, your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out so the wordplay is on like um, name and on oil because it's Shem and Shemen and so the idea here this person is like just a mad lyricist like it's like it'd be kind of like dropping the mic kind of moment Shem Shemen oh or that guy on Twitter where the whole crowd goes like that and he just falls back and they catch him that's kind of what happens here and so your name is oil poured out therefore virgins love you basically got mad chicks chasing after him <laughs> draw me after you let us run the king has brought me into his chambers we will exalt and rejoice in you we exalt your love more than wine rightly do they love you and then she says this i am very dark but lovely O daughter of jerusalem like the tents of kedar like the curtains of solomon 
Do not gaze at me because I'm dark, because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Tell me, you whom my soul loves, where you passed your flock, where you make it lie down at noon. For why should I be like one, one who veils themselves beside your flock of your companions? So basically, she's, she's rising straight away. She's doing something which you may have seen people do in conversation around, around you at some stage or some friendship. Everyone's got a friend who is unable to kind of like function without letting you know their deepest, darkest kind of like failure, their insecurity that's there. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'll tell you what, I'll give you an example. A few times at City Hill, people have come and joined the church and they've had this idea of what City Hill is and it's not. And they have this idea of church and what it's supposed to be. And they have this idea of me and my role as a pastor. So I've actually had people come one day, like it. Next Sunday they come, they sat me down on one of the, the pews over there and they wanted to start confessing all the stuff that they've done wrong in their life and stuff like that. To know that I accepted them, that they could belong here. And I remember having this moment where I was like, I'm so sorry, what is this? Like, what are, what are we doing here? And they were like, oh, I thought you should, because you're, I thought, ah, oh, I thought this was, um, Oh, okay. And so what she's doing here is she's got something you can't look past because she's Israeli and her skin is really, really dark. And there's only one reason your skin would be that dark and it's about class. It's about being a worker out in the fields. And she's saying, basically, my family didn't rate me. My, my brothers didn't love me. Instead of like just allowing them to do the vineyards, to look after the sheep and all this kind of stuff, I was always out here and like my hands are kind of um, I'm blistered up, a sore, my, my skin is kind of warm. I should have been looking after this vineyard, who I am, and my beauty and my appearance had just been soaking in milks and in the shade all day. I shouldn't have been having to work out laboring in this way. And so this isn't just about like, even just the complexion through having to work that way out in the fields, but it's also about class and status. She's a shepherdess, which like the shepherds were the peasants of Israel. So for her to be saying all this, and if it is Solomon, as in King Solomon, that she's um, in this kind of relationship pursuing one another, you can understand how that would be an even greater insecurity. So you've got a king, you've got royalty, you've got nobility, and living this life of luxury up here, and then any time you would be seen with that person, they would see straight away that you're of the lower classes. I mean, I guess today it'd be like a like a Meghan Markle scenario. There's this like like uh, the British public like uh, there's some like people on the Daily Mail and stuff and people commenting on websites that are still struggling to deal with the fact that we have like a uh, a mixed race member of the royal family. It's like man, you need to get up, move on with your life, grow up, and um, find Jesus. So this scenario here is one back then where. It raises the question because of like the, the, the tier system within society, like upper class, this isn't even upper class, this is royalty and this is peasantry and they're coming together. And then it goes on to say, and then she says, tell me whom your soul loves, where you passed your flock. She's basically saying, oh, what time do you get off for lunch? Like where your guys that are looking after your flocks, your shepherds, if you come out and meet them, you know, check it out and then lunch break, she's basically saying, I know a really good well close by and we can kind of like hang out and meet up there. If you do not know a most beautiful among women, follow in the tracks of the flock, the pasture of your goats and beside the shepherd's tents. I compare you, my love, to the mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments. Your neck is like a string of jewels. We will make for you ornaments of gold studded with silver. While the king was on his couch, 
Uh, my nard gave forth its fragrance. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh that lies between my, my breasts. There we go. Bow, chicka, bow, 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 chicka, bow, bow. That's kind of like, like I said, this is why Jewish boys weren't allowed to read it. Jeez. Uh, my beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyards of the Engedi. That's like right close to the Dead Sea. So you've got the Dead Sea, you've got this stretch of area that isn't all that kind of like lively and awake. And then you've got this one area where it just like is so fragrant. It's just like the smell of roses everywhere. And as soon as you go through it, it'd be so pleasant because of the contrast between the two. And he's saying that's the contrast that she kind of brings. Um, Behold, my love, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. Behold, you are beautiful, verse 16, my beloved, truly delightful. Our couch is green. The beams of our house are cedar, the rafters are pine. And then she says this statement, which is the key thing I really want to focus on with what I'm going to say today. I am a rose of Sharon, Shazza, good old Shazza, a lily of the valleys. As a lily among brambles, so is my love among the women. The first thing I want to pick up on this series is just that one point from those two verses. All the stuff before is building up, the relationship between the two, the tension and all that stuff, her insecurity early on about her class and her position in life. But the real thing I want to pick up on is, I am a rose of Sharon. So we read a rose and you think of just like a, we all think of just a rose, but actually it's not really a rose, it's just a bog standard flower that's red. That's it. It's a bog standard flower that's red and she's saying, this is what I am. And then when she says a lily among the valley, what she's saying is I'm just one red flower among millions of red flowers. So this, this valley that is there is completely caked, it's completely coated. In no way does she stand out in any way, shape or form. But her lover's response is that you are, you are a lily, you're right, but you're a lily among thorns. There's this amazing aspect of God, which is why Rabbi Akiva calls this book the Holy of Holies, is because God is different from you and I. If I focus my energy into one person, I don't have any energy for someone else, or I'll be selfish with that love. I can't distribute that love among people in a way. But God has this capacity in this passage to see each and every single one of us in the singular sense where he looks out at the vastness, because what she says is true and what he says is true. She is just one flower among millions of flowers covering the entire valley. But in God's eyes, as he looks down on this one individual, he sees a lily among thorns. It's just the complete and unbelievable ability of God to hone in on the one individual and see them in this way. You see, you and I come with a lot of hang-ups and a lot of baggage. And so often when I speak to people, I spend time with people and, and we talk about God, there's always this ability to talk about God's grace for someone else. There's always this ability to acknowledge God's forgiveness and love and empowerment for someone else. But then when it comes to us, we're just like the lady here. Oh, well, you know, I, I, I look at me. I'm, there's nothing special about me. Look at these, these workers' hands from the vineyard. Look at my complexion because of the type of work that I do. Look, that I'm a peasant. I'm of lowly estate. And yet the thing that her lover does this whole way through is he's the king of the nation and he's lifting her up going, what are you talking about? You are so beautiful. You stand out amongst everyone else. You don't blend in, you blend out. And I think that one of the things that God sees about you and about me is you and I fail to see the unique beauty in who we are. We always remember the unique failings. We always keep them with us. We always carry them with us. We always are able to give the excuses and hide behind the failings, the inability, the reasons that don't qualify us. 
And yet, in this one moment in Song of Solomon, you actually have an answer to a plethora of different characters throughout the Bible. You've got Moses standing before God going, but I'm not good at speaking. You've got Gideon saying, I'm a tiny little guy among a tribe of tiny little guys. We're nobodies. And yet he used Gideon to turn around the fate of an entire nation that was on the brink of starvation. He used Moses to deliver over two million slaves, an entire ethnicity out of Egypt, hashtag straight out of Egypt. He was able to do that, but that insecurity and their inability stems from the exact same issue in this passage. And you know what I've noticed? I've noticed about myself and I reckon I'm suspicious, it may be your thing as well, that there's something within each and every one of us that fails to look past our inability, our failings and the mistakes that we've made of yesteryear. We're going to allow yesterday to define our future. We're going to allow the things that failed before to tell us what we can achieve tomorrow. And it's just going to hold us back. And I believe this morning that God wants to change our perspective. Yes, we are, all of us, just one lily amongst billions of lilies across the face of the earth. But when God looks at us as an individual, he doesn't see it that way. He sees absolute abject beauty in each one of us to the maximum. And for me, that is an incredible, incredible, powerful thing that God has for each and every single one of us. I want to pray for us this morning and that'll be it for our first week of the series. Father, I thank you of the way that you see us. When we look at ourselves, man, some of us are blessed with that ability to see ourselves as the next best things in sliced breads or God's gift to women or to men or whichever. But actually, God, if we're really honest and we strip back all the layers, all of us are hung up about something. And so many of us are defined by something from our past rather than what you're doing in the present and what you're saying we're going to be in the future. God, you called out Gideon as a man to save a nation, but he was too hung up on the fact that he was a nobody of a small tribe, one of the weakest tribes in Israel. But you used him and you saved that nation. Father, I thank you that Moses was in the same boat, full of insecurities, that come bubbling up towards the surface. Father, we thank you that we can come before you boldly to your throne of grace, that we can encounter you, our love, in such an intimate and powerful way. Father, I pray that this week for each and every single one of us, we would have a moment, an encounter with you, God, where we would no longer see ourselves from our own point of view, but see ourselves from your point of view, that you look down at us Though we are one out of billions and billions, you see the absolute unique beauty in every single one of us and the absolute faith and belief in us. I pray this week, Lord, that as we start to see ourselves, not as we see ourselves, but as you see us, we would experience liberation and transformation, Lord. In Jesus' name. really hope you enjoyed today's message and if you'd like to find out more about City Hill please visit our website cityhill.london